just a, a quick poll. We did a zero trust discussion in our federal forum last year. Who attended that panel? Raise of hands. So we've got quite a few. Okay, fantastic. So we're looking for another quality conversation today. Um, just, just given the, the quick introductions that Steve gave, I think it'd be worthwhile if each of you just give a little bit more information about your role and your mission. And Jamie, if you wouldn't mind kicking that off. I don't mind at all. I'm from the United States PTO, and that doesn't stand for paid time off. <laughs> it's actually the Patent and Trademark Office. I've been there for four years now, and I can't believe it. It feels like 28 dog years as they go. Um, it is a highly competent workforce. We have 8,300 patent examiners, and we have about 1,000 trademark examiners. And they're spread throughout the world. 83% of us are in a formal teleworking agreement, remote. So we have our challenges ahead in zero trust, and we can pass it off to Dr. Kelly. Hey, thank you. Uh, so I'm the CIO of the Department of State. I've been in the job for five months, so ask me anything. Um, that's a joke. Um, we are about uh, over 100,000 users, and the, the main thing about us is that we are located globally. So we have 270 locations, more than 270 uh, overseas. Uh, we are everywhere from Beijing to Vienna to Mexico City. Uh, you name it, we are there. And we're there to help American citizens. We're there to issue visas, uh, and we're there as diplomats. So it's a really, really exciting mission. So I'm Ann Duncan, I'm CIO for the Department of Energy, um, and I guess my first thing is I want to know after this whether we said anything different than was said last year. Um, and secondly, I just a shout out, I, I was telling Kelly the other day how amazing her folks are. I, I was just in, uh, in, in Zagreb and um, uh, had a control officer from her team. So amazing work from the uh, IT folks at State. So DOE, um, we, have a fewer, we have fewer sites, we have 97 sites in 27 states. Um, our mission ranges from uh, securing the nuclear stockpile, renewing the nuclear stockpile, not nuclear nonproliferation, to uh, keeping up the power grid in 35 states and selling bulk power. Uh, so, you know, when you get that nice energy from our Western Dam network, that's because DOE sold it and ran the grid. Um, to our open science mission, uh, with, well, our science mission with 17 national labs, which ranges from open science to, again, nuclear uh, materials and, and research in that space. Uh, and then finally our cleanup mission. We continue to clean up um, the Manhattan Project waste and the waste we've generated since then. Um, and you know, uh, for better or for worse, we own the largest cleanup sites in the country. So back to you. Jamie, Dr. Kelly, and thank you very much. And what we did say last year about Zero Trust was that you could ask five people what Zero Trust means and have six people with six different answers. And so that brings us to our first question. So the Biden administration recently released the National Cybersecurity Strategy, which commits the government to improving federal cybersecurity through long-term efforts to implement a zero-trust architecture. So with that plan as the backdrop, the big question is, how would you define zero-trust, and what does that mean for the future? And this would be uh, for any of you panelists to answer. I think you were chomping at the bit. Uh, I was. To start. So, so please do. The Army's always out front because we were the first service. And you could take the boy out of the Army, but you can't take the Army out of the boy. Just, just setting the stage here, right? <laughs> love it. I love what we've done with Zero Trust because it can fit on your hand. The five pillars are really a great way to describe it. You have the first pillar being that thumb, that opposable thumb that separates us from everybody else, and that's the users. Then you have your applications, then you have your data, then you have your network, and then you have your devices. 
realize these five pillars have different maturity levels that you can be on. Too many people get hung up on multi-factor authentication and users. Of course you have to have your users strong, but don't forget about the four other pillars. Most people realize a better benefit on your middle pillar, the data. If you're really concentrating on data, you can have a great effect financially and for effectively with your users on data. But don't forget about your devices. If so much is based on MFA of the, uh, of the users, how about your MFA for devices? How do you double check that your network is really have those um, devices that should be there, that are authenticated? So often hackers just uh, fool other people, fool other devices into thinking that there's something that they're not, they shouldn't be trusted. So I look at the five areas and I look at the maturity along those areas. Yeah, I love your answer, Jamie. It really speaks to the need for defensive depth and those issues that you described are those that we also face certainly in the private sector. So moving on to our next question, Kelly. As the newly appointed CIO of the Department of State, you've already made many critical moves to advance cybersecurity through zero trust programs. So tell us about your journey so far and the goals that you have looking ahead. Um, great question, thanks. So I first wanna say, um, you know, I showed up at the Department of State and I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I had never been in a United States Embassy. Uh, I didn't know anyone at the Department of State. And um, I showed up and I was so relieved because we were talking about exactly the same technologies I had been talking about at DOD. Uh, the Department of State has done really amazing things in the past couple of years. Um, I think as a lot of us did, they leveraged COVID to really embrace modernization. Uh, we have a lot of cloud-based technologies and that's incredibly important for foreign service officers. Uh, they're moving every one to three years uh, and it's really powerful for them to be able to continue to access um, email, to continue to access other applications as they move globally. Um, so I also wanna say, you know, I was really lucky that I showed up and I had an incredible team of a mix of foreign service and civil service and contractors and our industry partners. Um, and they were doing really, really good stuff um, that frankly now I just get to talk about. So I feel really lucky in that way. And just to highlight some of the big successes they've had recently. And you talked about multi-factor authentication. It is absolutely not the only thing you need to do, uh, but it is a thing you need to do. And so uh, I'm incredibly impressed. The team has uh, driven multi-factor authentication from two years ago. Uh, we weren't doing that. We just weren't doing it. Uh, and now we're at over 70%. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, the same sort of metrics with, data, uh, with encryption. So we've made meaningful changes. I think one area where we've made really good changes under the leadership of our CISO, Donna Bennett, is uh, enterprise governance. So something she did is she uh, stood up like scorecards. So now every assistant secretary, they get a score. Um, and it's, you know, it's from an A to an F, and then we rank them. Uh, and you know what, Donna ranks me. Um, we are gonna improve my score. Uh, but she ranks everybody, and it's created sort of a little bit of a gamification, but also it's allowed us to highlight, hey, here are the key things that you need to do. Right now, 20 other bureaus are doing better than you. Um, so that's been a big difference. The things that we're moving forward to um, you know, in the future, when I got there, one big difference between the State Department and DOD that I saw is that State Department, because of their mission, which is to communicate, it's to communicate with our partners abroad, it's to communicate with the public, it's a huge part of our mission. We've stood up a lot of non-enterprise networks, um, and they were stood up for good reason. Uh, that said, 
these are places where we're very vulnerable, right? They're missing a lot of the um, standard cybersecurity controls that we have in our enterprise network. And so we're really getting after these non-enterprise networks, making sure that our cyber defenders and diplomatic security have visibility. Uh, we're making sure that all the good things we're doing with Zero Trust on our big enterprise network, that we do it for our non-enterprise networks as well. So that's our next focus area. Thank you, Kelly. So Jamie, two questions for you. How successful, in your opinion, have agencies been in implementing the President's 2021 Cybersecurity Executive Order? And which approach should they now take to address the new cybersecurity strategy that was just announced earlier this month? So I love executive orders because they're all about guidance and advice and very little teeth. And that's because you should have the ability to operate within any gu uh, guidance, with any guardrails. Because whenever we put down all these standards and thou musts, so often you're not taking into account the line level because nobody knows everything. And so from high above, you can't say, you know, eat with a fork and a spoon. What happens if you need chopsticks? So the fact is that these are guidance and they're guidelines. Um, I'm not gonna speak for other agencies. I can only speak for ourselves. We take our nation's intellectual property so sacred of a duty to protect. At the same time, we can't protect everything because I sort of have a Jekyll and Hyde mentality about patents and trademarks. On the one hand, I have to keep those, like I said, very tightly um, surrounded and secured. But on the other hand, I need to make sure all the public knows about these intellectual property assets because they have to take them to court. They have to know what they can't do in trademarks and branding. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sort of Jekyll and Hyde in that regard because I do have a public duty to disclose all of the information that we have. And we have nine petabytes online. That's right, I have nine petabytes of data information online. So that's security, not everything needs to be classified. And one thing I would encourage other agencies to do is don't over-classify things because it just makes things harder. So you have to really figure out what your classification strategy is and then how to attack each one. As Ann said, we need to make sure multi-factor authentication is done. It's not just a good idea, it's a mandate. Do it. You will get hacked if you don't. At the same time, I'm looking at devices and how we can create certificates for devices to be authenticated in the network and in the environment. So these are just two things. Like I said, data is really where you have to encrypt everything. Data in motion, of course, happens all the time. We do it all across the internet, SSL, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody, everyone knows that. But the thing is, do you think about data at rest encrypting as well as data in use encrypting? And those are technologies we're looking at to actually be beneficial in the future. Thank you, Jamie. And given these federal mandates, it's now widely accepted because of the mandates, the federal agencies are moving towards a zero trust architecture. So it's not a matter of when or, or if, but when. So looking at the big picture, what are the most important steps that agencies should be taking now and forward to accelerate their zero trust journey? So, uh, so thank you. So first of all, Jamie, um, those teeth that are in the EO, I think they're not in the EO for you because they're, they're biting us. But, you know, <laughs> okay. um, so I think what I'll do is tell you a little bit about what we're doing at DOE because obviously the approach we're taking is what we think uh, should be happening. So um, first of all, we believe that, that um, successful implementation is gonna you know, focus on um, comprehensive automation and orchestration, uh, but also uh, we know that DOE, as I described, is a very diverse environment, and, and we're not going to have a one-size-fits-all. Uh, so our goal is not to 
the find a strategy at headquarters and say thou shalt implement it, but to work together to get to a solution. Um, so we started with a zero trust working group that encompasses um, all of the department elements, all the national labs, all the plants and sites, um, dozens of people um, every week uh, getting together to talk about uh, this implementation process to discuss examples of success and examples where maybe things didn't go so well. Um, and and that, that group works across all five pillars of the maturity model. Um, and so we've, we've, we're working together to number one, measure the current maturity of zero trust within DOE, um, and then develop implementation plans. And at headquarters, we feel like our, one of our roles is to be the exemplar in there. So we went first, we developed our implementation plan first, and we're using that as, as sort of the, 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 the um, design that others can use to leverage as they develop their own model and their own implementation plans. And um, those maturity models and, and the, and the um, uh, levels have provided us a basis for evaluating how others are doing. So as we go through this, we look at the implementation plans, we look at their implementation progress, and we evaluate how we're doing and, and where we're going. Um, and so having that, that uh, maturity score that we create from that really helps us to know how, what kind of progress we're making across the enterprise. Um, in addition uh, to getting those plans from everybody, uh, we also uh, took some funding that we received and provided some of that out to the organization to do pilots. So we said, we're gonna fund this particular activity that you need to accomplish. So it's not simply let's try something and throw it away, but we're gonna try this, we're gonna accomplish this for you and solve your problem. But in return for that funding, you're gonna come back to the community as a whole and share what you learned um, and your models and your tools and your capabilities so that um, either we discovered it didn't work so well and we're not gonna do that again, or we learned that it is something that's worked and we're able to give uh, a leg up to everybody else in the organization to implement that capability going forward. So really, it's an effort to move a really diverse group of people and organizations forward um, all together. And I think probably the most telling thing is, you know, we're almost two years into this, and every time the group meets, there are still 100 people on the phone. So that tells me, or on the call, it tells me that, that this matters to people um, because people vote with their feet, and one of the ways they vote with their feet is they stop showing up for meetings that aren't helpful to them. So I think it's a path that is going to serve us well uh, going forward. Thank you, Anne. And, and given that approach, the question I have is for, for, for all of you, what are not just the successes you've seen in your progress to adopting a zero trust strategy and approach, but also what are some of the challenges that you've faced as well? So I'll take a, I'll take a swing here. Um, I think we've had really good success with the model of uh, sort of a building tools to help with cybersecurity or platforms, and then engaging across the department and saying, hey, I have this platform, you can inherit some security controls, or I have, you know, for example, identity. What I really want to do is my organization can build the tool, and then it's consumed um, by other bureaus. So a little bit like what Ann said is we're also very diverse, right? A lot of different bureaus, a lot of different activity, but there are some things that we all need. And so there's a lot of power in one organization building these enterprise tools and then the other um, you know, system owners consuming those tools. I think that's really powerful. Um, but I will say what makes this hard is I think like everyone here, 
we are operating with a lot of legacy technology, a lot of really outdated technology. So then we say, hey, we built this thing, you can just consume it. Hey, we have this platform, you can just write on it. And they say like, yeah, but the problem is I'm like under Bill's desk. And like, as soon as we are operating with really outdated technologies, this model is incredibly hard. So I say like, we could hit zero trust out of the park uh, if I was in a greenfield, but I'm not. So we have incredibly important systems supporting incredibly important missions, but honestly, just because they're so outdated, it's incredibly hard to sort of get them up to snuff. So what we're trying to do is really couple modernization with zero trust. And something that we did I think is very cool is uh, we're rolling out Wi-Fi, which I think to a lot of people is like, maybe not that exciting, but I can assure you at the State Department, Wi-Fi is incredibly exciting. Uh, it's tricky because of security classification, all of that. Um, but we're finally rolling it out, which is great. Um, and that is our new network. And it's, it's gonna be a zero trust uh, instance of the network and it's going to you know, improve user experience and also users just love that there's Wi-Fi. Um, so I'm excited about all the things that we're doing to couple improved user experience with zero trust. But I'll, I'll, I'll add um, sort of one of the challenges, and it's, it's about culture and mindset. So we're having to make a cultural shift. Um, sounds like Jamie's got some thoughts in that space too. Um, to, you know, a couple ideas, right? We always had this, you know, we thought our network was hard on the outside and soft and gooey on the inside, so we have to move away from that. Um, but it's also about security by design. The idea that, that we're gonna make sure that the products we build and buy and operate are designed with security in mind rather than security bolted on and whether that's the product themselves or the architecture we design, um, whatever that solution space is that we want to make sure it's security by design. And secondly, um, we have to take a risk-based approach. Not all our assets are equal. Um, and you know, you probably care a lot more that I keep the grid up and running than that I keep Berkeley National Lab Science Land running. So, so if you had a choice, you, I probably know which one y'all in this room would make is that you want me to keep the grid up and running. So, so we prioritize different things differently, we protect things differently, and uh, because we have limited resources, like everybody here, uh, to apply to that problem. Um, and then the third thing I think that's a huge, big mindset change for us um, is the idea that um, we're all in this together, right? Chris Inglis, you may have heard, talk about collective defense, um, and, and, and that's a huge mindset shift from the days when we said, oh, I just have to be better I've been in the State Department. They'll go bug the State Department if, 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 if I'm better than them. Well, that's, that's just not the case. We have to work together to secure all of our, all of our assets, uh, the federal government, industry, our allies. Um, it's a hugely important thing. That's actually a big part of what the National Cyber Strategy is about, and it's about one of the things that's really clear in that strategy is we're going to shift that burden to those who are most able to carry it. So that collective defense means that the federal government um, and private sector large corporations are going to carry that burden instead of what we do now, which is we tend to shift it to individuals, small businesses, uh, state and local government who do not have the expertise and the capability to do that. So I think that's, that all those cultural mind shifts are part of what we have to take on that zero trust journey. I got it. I can't agree with you more, Anne. Uh, you remind me of the story about two African hikers on the plains of the, um, in Africa, and they come upon the lion. And all of a sudden, the one hiker takes running shoes out of his backpack. He says, what are you doing? You can't outrun the lion, but I can outrun you. Yep. 
And so we have to be more cohesive in our enterprise approach to these items. And the biggest hurdle in that way, the biggest challenge is the cyber culture. I love visuals, right? This is the cyber culture right now. Everything is so intense and strict and guidance. Oh my gosh, I'm going to, the fear of cyber is terrible. We need to open up and we need to have an open cultural incrementalism, not black and white, yes or no. You need to always keep getting better, not have to have this high ideal and standard that can't be met. Incrementalize and improve along the five areas, the five pillars of zero trust. And I tell you what, remember, it's easy. Users, applications, need data, need networks, need devices, right? But if you don't encrypt your data, it's gonna really be bad. <laughs> that seems like it should have been the last word, but we still have more time. <laughs> okay, so we, uh, we just spent 25 minutes there looking at zero trust. We, we talked about taking a holistic approach, ensuring to follow those five pillars. We talked about some successes, some challenges, such as dealing with legacy systems, and the need to work closely together in this quest to reach that zero trust defense in depth approach. I think that um, of all the countries in the world, being a, uh, working for a company in the private sector as a global services provider, I think the United States is by far the most aggressive in its cyber mandates to protect our critical infrastructure and our citizens. And so with that, I'd like all of you to put your hands together, together to give a huge thank you to our panelists, Jamie, Dr. Kelly, and Anne.